Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The, the fact that we're talking about Kodak today is amazing because, Fran, tell me why I'm still staring at the disposable <laughs> camera that you brought to Mexico. You guys, Fran, Fran is such a thoughtful friend. We went on a friend vacation last year, and she bought two disposable cameras for us to capture all the moments. Have not got it developed yet. <laughs> I, okay, I was having a retro moment, and I was really missing the mystery and the surprise of getting prints back because you know that a bitch lives on her phone. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're always dragged. I've got better to be fair i really really have um but i am also dying because i haven't gotten mine developed either (laughs) (laughs) i sat it right next to like i have a little hook by my door with like my keys and stuff because i put it Mm. there so that i wouldn't forget about it and guess what i've done I've forgotten about it forgotten every goddamn about time. It. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like a little shame totem for me. <laughs> a shame totem. <laughs> that, that's what I call my penis. <laughs> Delon, you know what? I I affirm you. Uh, I, you. I want to be body positive. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know I love a good dick joke, okay? Who doesn't? Oh my god. Ooh, wait, wait. No, no, no. Uh, listen, no. I listen. 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 <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I hate you for that. Uh, let me fix it. Okay, well, hello and welcome to Let Me Fix It, where we ask what the hell happened to our favorite brands. Yes, this is Let Me Fix It, where we give our favorite pop culture moments a little facelift. I'm Francesca Ramsey. I'm a TV writer, producer, and actress. But before that, I worked as a graphic designer. And I'm Delon Grant. I'm an actor, a writer, and a photographer. On the subject of photography, Delon, how did you start doing this? Because, you know, I always knew you as an actor, and then all of a sudden you were out here click, click, clacking. <laughs> Look at Ansel Adams over here, okay? Um, Not Ansel Adams. Ew. Okay, listen. Ready? Ready, though? <laughs> That's a classic photographer for the photography buffs out there. Um, I started when I was on tour with Jersey Boys. I kind of tripped over. It. I was on tour with for three and a half years with the National Broadway Tour of Jersey Boys. We went to the 50 states, a lot of cities in Canada, even Tokyo. Um, we were going to all these cool places. I just wanted to capture the moments. Turns out I really don't like being Ansel Adams. I hate like bridges and monuments. <laughs> I like taking pictures of people's faces and like candid. So an actor friend asked me to take some photos of her. They actually turned out really good. So I just kept taking photos of actors and took some classes. Okay, you know, he, he loves a class. class. <laughs> <laughs> you know I do. 
And the rest is history. I do have to give a shout out to my friend Brian, who bought me my first digital camera. I have some great friends, including Fran. That was mm-hmm. just such a sweet gift. Fran, you were actually the first person I ever knew with the digital camera. How did you get into that it? That is so funny. You know, I have always been a techie girl. I had a digital camera in middle school. I think is when I got my first one. I actually went to computer camp and like learned how to code and write HTML. Uh, and I got a bootleg copy of Photoshop from this kid in the art department at my school that I had a crush on. Always, always the crush, isn't it? He smelled bad. He was very cute. No, he, didn't. He, he didn't listen to law. He was funky, but he had Photoshop. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm going to stay around. Let me sidle on up. (laughs) Uh, And then junior year of high school, I ran for and won theater historian. And my campaign slogan was historifran. Oh, she loves a pun, yo. <laughs> I, I would make fun of you with them for, with about them if you weren't so fucking good at them. Historia Fran? That's good. That's all. My poster just said Historia Fran on it. And then I made this like collage scrapbook. And then I went to school for graphic design and, and took photography. So it's really apt that you and I have such a love of the creative arts and photography because today's episode, we are going to talk all about Kodak. And how they dropped the ball on digital. They were so close and yet so far away. I'm telling you, I mean, to be such a huge company and not have succeeded uh, in the, at least in the U.S. in terms of the landscape. Let's dig into it. The Eastman Kodak Company, a.k.a. Kodak for short, was founded by George Eastman and Henry Strong all the way back in 1880. Fun fact, the name Kodak doesn't mean anything. According to a 1920 ad... The Kodak name was simply invented, made up of from letters of the alphabet to meet our trademark requirements. It was short and euphonious and likely to stick in the public mind. Eastman said that there were three principal concepts that he used when creating the name Kodak. It should be short, easy to pronounce, and not resemble any other name or be associated with anything else. Okay, branding genius. Uh, uh, Right? So clever. Uh, He also said that the letter K was George Eastman's favorite letter. Uh, hmm. According to him, K seems strong in, in, in an incisive sort of letter, which I don't, I don't know. Like, do you have a favorite letter? Um, You know, Q always seemed like a queer letter to me. Mm-hmm. It's got a little, t- it's got a little tail. A look, you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, with a little, a little something come, coming out the back. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite letter? Oh, I don't know. You know, I will say the Y at the end of my name, I always was like trying different ways to like make the tail on the Y like really curly when I would Mm -hmm. write my name and like do a big flourish. So I'm going to say Y is my favorite letter. I have to say, I just, I just like respect your artistry so much. When you started talking about that, I was like, God, that's just so on brand. Obviously she did that because you're just so like crafty and you know what I mean? Oh my God. I mean, also, you know, not to go too off topic, a bitch had like eight different signatures. I was trying all the different things. <laughs> Perfection. Okay. <laughs> she was perfecting every it. Every time. And it's so funny in hindsight, like how did I not know I was queer? It was every time I met a girl with cool handwriting, I was like, ooh, maybe I should write like that. And then I just <laughs> changed my handwriting. I want to be closer to her. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, Mariah. I love the why on that one. So, <laughs> All right. So to get back on track, George and his mother, Maria, came up 
up with the name Kodak using an anagram set, which is kind of like a vintage version of Scrabble with like little tiles that you can mix and match together to make different words. Initially, the company sold dry plates for cameras. So the dry plates were how you actually had the print. They were printed on these dry plates. But Eastman's interest turned to replacing glass plates altogether with a new roll of film process. In 1888, the first Kodak camera was patented by Eastman. It was a long black box about the size of a loaf of bread, and it was marketed as an easy-to-use camera. Ads said, you press the button, we'll do the rest. I should, why, Not give you giving us an ad, okay? <laughs> Hire me. If you would like to be, if you would like to put your product on, let me fix it. Let us know. <laughs> Kodak. <laughs> um, the tw- this twenty five dollar camera. So initially, initially the twenty five dollar camera came preloaded with a film roll of about a hundred exposures and could be mailed to Eastman's headquarters in Rochester, New York, with a ten dollar processing fee. Just for a reference, twenty five dollars in eighteen eighty eight is equivalent of sixty four dollars and eleven cents in. 2023 surprisingly affordable because I, I, that shocked me me too i'm like wait because i just think of like you know they, they you know a dollar was was monumental to someone in, in the 19th century but it that's the equivalent that's crazy I know. I I was really surprised. I mean, like they were truly no wonder they were successful. They were ahead of the fucking game. I'm telling you. So after you mailed your camera off for developing, it'd come back with not only your prints, but negatives and a new roll of film. You could also buy a $2 roll of, of film if you wanted to develop your own photographs. So, of course, the camera was an immediate success, and Kodak basically invented amateur photography by allowing its customers to skip the complicated and expensive process of film development. Uh, Which brings me to the question, Delon, as a photographer, have you ever developed your own photos? You know, I haven't. And to be honest, when being a digital photographer, I have always felt like I'm not a real photographer because I don't use film. (laughs) And when you see... Uh, you know, cause digital, you can take as many as you want. And like, I'll take a hundred photos, 25 of them will be great. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so great at this. But like a <laughs> film film, you have to get it right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the, the only so many exposures. Have you done it, friend? Yes, I took photography in college because of my graphic design uh, degree. And what's so interesting is when you're in the dark room, and you probably know this because you're a digital photographer. Um, there's this process called dodging and burning, mm-hmm. which means that you actually burn part of the photograph to make it darker, or you dodge, you like cover part of it up, and you actually do that in the dark room. Like you put a piece of paper over part of the photo that you don't want to to be exposed more. Or you leave it out and expose it to the light for it to get darker. It's such a fun process. It really feels like it feels like magic. I highly recommend taking a uh, manual photography class because it makes you think about the process differently, like how much you expose the film in the actual like taking of your camera. All of that said, Kodak's advertising made personal photography a national phenomenon. The company was so well known that their trademark Kodak moment tagline entered the common lexicon as a way to describe capturing an event. And they had a few other taglines. Let Kodak tell the story. Another was prove it with Kodak, which, okay, better give me a challenge. (laughs) Uh, Another one was a vacation without Kodak is a vacation wasted. Damn. How long does film last? 
Ooh, I've never known forever, this. forever, ever, forever. <laughs> it's going to, in our case, yes. Right, it, it better. So Kodak was so ubiquitous that Kodaking actually became a verb, like Instagramming. That is so crazy to is me. Is that funny? That is so funny. It, you know what? It kind of reminds me of how Kleenex is synonymous with without any brand of tissue. We just say Kleenex for any time there's a tissue. I was well into my adulthood before I realized that when you, you say, can I get a Kleenex and somebody mm-hmm. hands you like somebody else's tissue, you know, mm-hmm. another brand of tissue. That's so fascinating. Or how, um, how people say Coke to mean all mm. soda. But I, I would say that that tells you that your brand has really made it. I, I don't know. Can you think of any other examples of, of brands where we now know the brand name to represent all objects? I guess like a Dawn is, is always just soap in my head. Right. Mm, but, but I don't think that call, I don't like, like, fits you, exactly. Okay, the thing that, I don't know, when I like, if I was to go to someone's house and do dishes, I don't think I would say, do you have Dawn? I would just be like, where's your dish <laughs> Right? Okay, no, but here's one. Here's one that I thought of. it said back is funny. Yes, go ahead. Okay, but here's one. When you're cleaning on your, on the topic of cleaning, I think you would say Swiffer. You'd be like, oh, do you have a Swiffer? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. the actual brand of Swiffer, but just the idea of like, it's like vacuuming, but yeah, the action. Yeah, yeah. There, there have to be more things like that, but I haven't really thought about that in depth. That's really, I Swiffer's a really good one, actually. Here's my, I have a question about the Kodaking being a verb. Is is Kodaking taking the photo or sending the machine to get your photos developed? Right. Oh, I wow. I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe it's a little bit of both. Okay, George, we, um, you know, you passed, but could you <laughs> we have phone questions. in? <laughs> um, I also love the idea of Kodak and kind of being an excuse not to do something. Your mom calls and you're like, oh, mother dear, I, I couldn't possibly talk right now. I'm Kodaking. Uh, what is that? Vo- like, what accent is that? <laughs> I think that's like my best 19th century housewife. And I'm sorry, okay. were there phones back then? Like, what? I, 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 I don't know what time was. <laughs> <laughs> you coming in with with actual facts? I hate you. <laughs> there had to. I think there there had to have been a phone in eighteen eight, but it was like you know Eastman owned a phone. Like nobody else owned a phone in America. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Dylan, did you get a chance to watch the Queenie trailer that I sent you? Girl, you sent me this, and it took me right back to all of my messy breakups. Do you remember 
leaving me at that restaurant. Oh, okay. You triggered. need to bleep. You need to bleep that man's oh. name. <laughs> I, I remember because you called me late in the midnight hour, crying, bawling, girl. It took me <laughs> right back to that. Thank God I had you, though. Thank God I had you because the twenties were a mess. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, the 20s are way in the rearview mirror for the both of us, but we will be living through Queenie as she navigates her 20s. Girl, you know that we will. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Okay, so during most of the 20th century, Kodak held a dominant position in photographic film and produced a number of technological innovations through heavy investment in research and development at Kodak Research Laboratories. Because its film processing required specific chemicals, it had the technology to create blood analyzers, x-ray technology, photocopiers, and even components of pharmaceuticals. Wow. Is that crazy? So that is, like, I, I had no idea. Way ahead of the game. You know what this is giving me? This is giving me, you know, a gifted class kid who ends up being just a flop in life. You were class president. You were valedictorian. And now you live in a van by the river. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) What happened? You you had every opportunity. You screwed it away. Oh, my Um, God. You know what? Your parents didn't love you. That's what happened. I guess guess not. (laughs) So in 1890 and the early 1900s, Kodak grew rapidly and was always a step ahead of its competitors through innovation, exclusive contracts, and acquisitions. Some of those acquisitions were of smaller photography companies that didn't want want to be Mm. bought. Okay. Okay. So the quiet part being that Kodak engaged in some monopolistic behaviors. Okay. Mm. So maybe this is karma. Maybe Uh, this is karma. She's a bully, too. She's a bully. (laughs) Okay. Eastman recognized that film would return more profit than the cameras that used them and focused on control of the film market, selling cameras for cheap and sometimes even giving them away to children. I thought that was nice. I mean, it's about money. Okay, look look at you, Robin Hood. He's he's Mr. Monopoly Man and he's Robin Hood. Okay, Okay. he's taking it and giving it back. This is kind of a common theme for Kodak. They observe the market, they double down, and then they innovate. So how did they completely drop the ball on digital photography? I'm so confused. Ooh, okay, we are we are getting close. We're we're almost there. So something else that is interesting is that Kodak was one of the first champions of welfare capitalism during hmm. the 1910s and 1920s. Now, honestly, when I heard the term welfare capitalism, I was like, mm, what did you call? Did you just call me the N-word? Like <laughs> Wait, absolutely why does welfare have such a well, you know what? Because I'm, welfare is, queen. Welfare because queen Reagan. Reagan came up with Welfare that. Queen. But it's so interesting that the word welfare has a negative connotation when the reality is it's not a bad word. Welfare capitalism is capitalism that includes social welfare policies and or the practice of businesses providing welfare services for their employees. So Kodak implemented a number of worker benefit programs like workman's compensation and a profit sharing program for all of their employees uh, in 1912. In 1919, uh, a large portion of the stock company was sold to employees below market value, which is really, really cool. So the expansion of benefits continued long after founder George Eastman. And in 1928, the company began offering life insurance, disability benefits, and retirement annuity plans for employees. So like this was a really freaking big deal. Like 
they were able to kind of usher in this new movement amongst other companies. And many other employers in the area of Rochester took their cues from Kodak and started increasing their own wages and benefits so that they could remain competitive in the labor market. That's really amazing, though. Like, you know, there's this we, we talk about in, in economics about, um, you know, trickle down economics, which is also mm-hmm. a Reaganism. Um, uh, but the idea that you have the most and you are trying to make the most profit and what you're going to do is you're going to support the industry around you that makes mm-hmm. the most profit, the industry being not only you know, the business, but the people that work for you, your employees. I don't know why that's so revolutionary or it feels so revolutionary now. It feels you know revolutionary I mean? because it is, again, like looking out for the well-being of your employees. And a lot of companies do not do that. That's just, just not don't. the norm. And I will say, you know, while Eastman was very good to his employees, he did have some selfish motivations. He believed that offering benefits served the interest of the company. Uh, he was terrified of his employees unionizing, so he offered better compensation than the unions, largely so he could avoid the cost of a potential strike, which is, sounds sounds Jeff Bezos-y, I'm not going to lie to you. So Kodak produced some of the most popular cameras of the 20th century, including the Brownie and the Instamatic. Throughout the 60s and 70s, Kodak sold 70 million of $60 cameras with an average user buying eight rolls of Kodak film annually. But more fun facts, they're also responsible for some other important creations as well. Kodak created film formats for Hollywood films. They created the Super 8 technology, which inspired home movies. I was so impressed by that. That is so cool. This blew my mind. They built the photo systems that mapped 99% of the moon's surface. Okay, not them taking over on Earth and the moon. (laughs) Jeff Bezos? No, (laughs) right? But like, I'm I'm telling you, it's mind-boggling that they did all of this and and they're like failing. (laughs) They're failing. Mm -hmm, They mm -hmm. dropped this ball. I can't believe they were such a juggernaut. They're just like really not what they used to be. The last factor that I have here is, this is morbid, sorry. The most famous capture of John F. Kennedy's assassination was on 88 Kodachrome film. Wow. I know. Oh, my God. I mean, they really were creating the film industry that we know and love, you know, from still photography to Hollywood to the freaking moon. I mean, it's incredible. But... You know, the the good times cannot last forever. Kodak (laughs) began to struggle financially in the late 1990s as a result of increasing competition from the Japanese brand Fujifilm. So their rivalry really started in the 80s when Fujifilm came out with a less expensive camera. And then they became the official camera for the 1984 Olympics. And then it got real personal because they said, you know what? Y'all are on the moon. We coming for your home (laughs) territory. They opened a factory in the U.S., And they started a very aggressive stateside marketing campaign. Mm. And uh, I, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. I would watch that movie. Hell yeah. So in the 90s, Kodak was so annoyed by Fujifilm that they even petitioned the U.S. Department of Commerce. No, they did Alleging that they're, they sure did. They said, we are going to, Kodak also stands for Karen. We (laughs) are going to, I would like to speak to the manager. Uh -uh, uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh, (laughs) uh-uh. Dead. They said, U.S. Department of Commerce, we're not selling like we used to in Japan because of unfair practices by Fujifilm. Unfortunately, 
they did lose that bid. Uh, the That's U.S. Whining. Department of Commerce did not agree with them. That's whining. And as we now know, Kodak also struggled with the transition from film to digital photography. Meanwhile, Fujifilm was very successful when it came to diversification. Huh. It sounds like you're doing something wrong, Kodak. Mm-hmm. Okay. You are. Listen, you are projecting. You're taking it okay. out on everybody okay. else. <laughs> That's a you problem because you currently mm-hmm. own 85% of the U.S. market. Okay. So. Right. So what happened? How did Kodak drop the ball with digital photography? Let's get into it. So Steve Sasson was a Kodak engineer who invented the first digital camera in 1975. He characterized the initial corporate response to his invention this way. Management's reaction was, that's cute, but don't tell anybody about it. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that that they, that's cute. Wow. Famous last words. Famous. Yes. Like literally you're going to eat those words. For real. They knew digital was coming, which is so crazy. They saw that the pivot to digital was going to be very expensive. At the time, you got a return of 70 cents on the dollar with film, while digital imaging got you about five cents. So, you know, the numbers don't lie. They just didn't see that they were going to make money. They couldn't invest. Oh, my God. And like I said, in 1976, Kodak owned 95% of the physical film market Mm -hmm. and 85 percent of the camera market in the u.s like monopolistic tendencies i told you so just the the fact that they were only going to make a little bit more money like again they were like we would make a little bit of money but just not enough money to invest in this which is so crazy it's like how do you not see the horizon you know and you have the data you have the information you know Mm -hmm. so friend this is this is the the data this is a little bit technical jargony but stay with me it's really important so there's something called moore's law which said that the capacity of transistors on integrated circuits was going to double every 18 months, which meant that in 1978, Kodak understood that by 2008, consumer electronic imaging, which is the technology we use in digital cameras, would overtake traditional photography. So you have (sighs) the So literally, the math was mathing, and they still didn't listen. And and they said, you know what, girl, bye. (laughs) Crazy. So Larry Mattinson is another employee who wrote a report in 1979 predicting a complete shift to digital photography would occur by 2010. However, company executives were reluctant to pivot because it would require, like I said, a huge investment and the result would eat into the company's profits. Greedy, greedy, greedy. Mm hmm. Kodak's management's inability to see digital photography as a disruptive technology, even as its own researchers experimented with digital technology, would be a mistake that the company would repeat for decades. It's crazy. So around 1981, Sony had just introduced its first electronic camera and Vince Barababa, I hope I'm saying that correct, he was the head of Kodak's market intelligence. He wondered, should we be worried about digital photography? So he did a whole study And there was some good and bad news. The bad news, digital photography could potentially replace the film business. But the good news is it wouldn't happen overnight. Kodak still had about 10 years to prepare. But during that 10-year window, Kodak did nothing. Like, insane. Come, come on. You about to show up to the high school reunion with nothing, Kodak? What you you doing? You didn't even buy a prom dress? (laughs) Like, 
really? Everyone's showing up to the high school reunion with kids and, you know, six pack abs and shit. Okay. And Kodak's like, mm, you know, we're just hanging out, feeling comfortable. Ironically, Kodak made exactly the mistake that their founder, George Eastman, avoided twice before when he gave up a very profitable dry plate business to move into film. And later when he invested in color film, even though it was crappier than black and white film, which Kodak was dominating at the time. So rather than prepare for digital photography to replace film, as George Eastman had with prior disruptive technologies, Kodak just used digital technology to improve the quality of their film. That makes sense. Essentially, screw digital. We're going to double down on film. In 1986, Kodak's research labs developed the megapixel camera, one of the milestones their study had forecasted as a tipping point of digital photography. And the theme is they still didn't pivot. You have you had the information. What? So <laughs> it's just so weird to use digital technology to fix film. Like that just seems so backwards. Listen, you're you're missing the point, guys. You're missing the point. And now I'm getting mad. <laughs> like, why am I acting like I'm a stockholder? Okay, like, okay. So until the 1990s, when this when CEO they you know didn't pivot, they didn't pivot, they didn't pivot. And then the 90s, uh, the then CEO George Fisher pumped two billion dollars into research and de- development for digital. About time. But then every attempt was a flop. So they created the DCS100, which was an overpriced digital camera, so nobody could buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fran, remember the photo CDs that, that were big in the 90s? Oh, yeah. I absolutely did that. You would turn in your uh, disposable, and they would give you a CD with all the pictures on it. Oh, yeah. And then you could just like, download them onto your computer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Crazy. They also came up with the DC20, which was a much cheaper camera, but everyone hated the photos. Evidently, they were just terrible photos. So in 1996, they released the Advantix Preview Film and Camera System using the very same digital technology, but it was still a film camera. Wow. Wow. Like, they can't I, let go. I really, it, it, they really cannot let go. You need to move on. So the camera's key feature was that you could preview your photos like a digital camera, decide how many prints you wanted, uh, and then they would print the photos. So essentially, they built a digital camera that still <laughs> functioned like a manual camera with prints. I just brilliant, like, brilliant. No. Of, no. <laughs> They spent $500 million to develop the Advantix, and it was another complete flop. Because here's the problem. They're trying to integrate their the thing that they believe that has made them money the most with mm-hmm. the new technology instead of just doing what they've always done. Innovate, innovate, mm-hmm. innovate, innovate. Or, or, you know, become a monopoly. Buy fucking Fujifilm if you can. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, so what's wild is that, again, they knew the market was going to change, had the te- technology to change it and dominate the market, but they still failed. That Vince Barber guy, the former head of Kodak's marketing intelligence, wrote a book called The Decision Loom, which is all about how companies should pivot using market research. The book combines all of his knowledge from his time at Kodak, Xerox, and General Motors. Yeah, he has some really great advice in the book. He says that you need four things to set your company up for success when it comes to analyzing changes in the market. So first, having an enterprise mindset that is open to change. And the translation for that is, you need people in charge who are willing to change. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Kodak's management in the 80s and 90s just were unwilling to consider digital as a replacement for film. 
Number two. They were two, just cashing checks. They really were like, but you know what? This is a metaphor for the current state of our world. Like you're in charge and you're not listening to the people who you've hired to do the job. Yes. Then what's your job? What, yes. what do you do? Right. Oh, okay. I'm getting so mad. Uh, Me too. Number two. You need to be thinking and acting holistically. So the idea behind that is that optimizing parts of your business is good, but you need to think about how all of those parts work together. And Kodak knew they were the bomb when it came to film, but they did not listen to their entire research department who were begging them to pivot to digital. Yeah. I mean, dare I say the digital camera was invented in in house <gasps> like, in your don't. own basement. <laughs> And you said, oh, leave it, leave it in the basement. We don't care. Crazy. The camera is coming from inside the house. <laughs> so to, to continue with Vince's uh, great points, uh, number three is being able to adapt the business design to changing conditions. So the translation for that would be Kodak's unwillingness to change its huge, successful film print business, despite all of the signs pointing to digital becoming that girl, meant that they couldn't be the innovator that they'd always been. And another one that we, we really liked was uh, from Vince was making decisions interactively using a variety of methods. That this is saying there are many ways to skin the cat. Your business needs to be able to try a, a few different things to solve the problem and thus find the best way to get it right. Here's my thing for you, uh, Kodak. I know you were worried about spending the money. You eventually had to spend the money. So, girl, well, you should have spent the money. <laughs> you had yeah, exactly. You had the money. There was no reason not to spend the money. And look where it got you. And okay. I would argue that all of these tips that Vince came up with are good suggestions for life. Being able to think about a variety of ways to tackle a problem and being able to change and like look at the big picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is kind of like the ethos of our show, I would argue. I hear you. Also, therapy. Ready? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Very reflective. Absolutely. So, what is Kodak up to now? Well, unfortunately, they are still trying to recover from their digital fumble. As late as 2007, a Kodak marketing video announced that Kodak is back and mm. that Kodak, quote, wasn't going to play grab ass anymore with digital. What, what, <laughs> is that a direct quote? <laughs> that is a direct quote for the commercial. What does that mean? The grab ass? I, what is grab ass like that sounds, I, I that sounds like an hr violation <laughs> that is a that is a hard hr violation <laughs> so kodak made an even more aggressive turn to digital photography and digital printing in the 2000s but by then it was too late their strategies failed to improve the company's finances, and in January 2012, Kodak filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. We could smell it on the horizon, folks, couldn't mm -hmm. we? Mm -hmm. They did have a bit of a defibrillation. In September 2013, the company emerged from bankruptcy, having shed its large legacy liabilities, restructured, and exited several businesses. Since emerging from bankruptcy, Kodak has continued to provide commercial digital printing products and services, and motion picture film and still film itself for, for photos. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting and also a little bit controversial in response mm. to the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, Kodak announced that it would begin production of pharmaceutical materials, right? Which, you know, that was kind of in their wheelhouse, something they were, they've always yeah. kind of been doing. Then they received a $760 million loan from the United States International Development Finance Corporation, or DFC, which is a federal agency. The controversial part, I guess, is just before the loan was announced, Kodak granted options 
to a bunch of their executives, meaning that they could buy shares of the company at a very low price. Hmm. Uh-uh. No, listen, I watch Succession. I know this is bad. <laughs> okay. Okay. You can smell it. <laughs> so the share price before this loan was announced was $3 a share. And then it jumped to $60 after that overnight. So oh that, that's a 2,250% increase. So it sounds like a lot of executives made a lot of money wow. real quick. Right? We were all stuck in the house and these motherfuckers were collecting cash for our cash okay <laughs> united states tax oh you know my god unbelievable uh i will say this <laughs> the um, the good bad news of it all is that they are currently being investigated by the okay. sec the securities and exchange commission for insider trading which is what that is in response kodak said based on our exhaustive reviews of the laws and the facts our lawyers have concluded that kodak and its officers directors and senior management did not violate the security regulations or other relevant laws engage in breach of fiduciary duty or violate any of Kodak's internal policies or procedures. Oh, how convenient. We investigated ourselves and we didn't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, wait, guys, talk about gaslighting. No, 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 no. It's not what you thought. We have people in here. According to our lawyers, we we didn't do anything. No, y'all just, the numbers are lying. (laughs) Uh, So despite the company's attempts at pivoting, film remains a major component of Kodak's business. The company continues to supply film, like we said, to the motion picture industry and after signing new agreements with major studios in 2015 and 2020 that's ongoing wow acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend the real housewives is a guilty pleasure for most but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure tune in to everything iconic with me Danny Pellegrino where I break down all the messy moments and behind the scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise and on everything iconic I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa Kiki Palmer Drew Barrymore Cameron Diaz and more about their guilty pleasures their past work and so much more so if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me tune in to everything iconic with Danny Pellegrino wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Okay, so now that we have dug into Kodak's history and where they went wrong, it is time for The Fix, where we each share how we would revamp Kodak's brand. Let me me fix it. uh -uh. Let Let me me fix fix it. So, uh, Delon, I think you should go first. Friend, whatever happened to the photo booth? Remember those? Okay, they have, yes, you know, I remember. I mean, they still have them in like kitschy bars and restaurants, but do they have them at like concerts and festivals? I don't go to concerts and festivals like that, but well, they I have put, like a digital one. Like you know, you might have them at like a birthday. Like I feel like at a wedding, ooh, you have a birthday those. party. Yes. Wait, put them at like colleges, and universities. We would have eaten that up at, at school, oh, right? Oh yeah, that's really smart. But I think your idea about weddings is smart and birthday parties is genius. Um, I say replace all those, you know, phone booths before we all had phones in our pockets with, you know, um, the less practical photo booth, like just on the street. Oh, you can just stop taking photos. I, that's really cute. I know. Or like, you know, I guess they have them at like Disney and, and parks and things like that. But I mean, you know, just put them, put them in Times Square. Why not? I like the old phone booths into 
into photo booths, that could be something really cool for like the city. Like that could be a tourist thing, right? Where it's like, you know, you're at historic landmarks around the country and like capture, you know, the Kodak moment right here in front of, I don't know, the whatever it is. That's a really clever idea. And you know how they're like revamping a lot of downtowns around America? Mm-hmm. Um, that I think would be a lovely feature for like a downtown moment. I was just in yeah. um, Winter Garden, Florida doing a show and it's a beautifully, you know, it used to be like pretty run down railroad area, but now it's like completely revamped to be so cute for that area. Yeah. So um, wait, what if, what if the photo booth, oh my God, we're so good at this. What if the photo booth was like clear? So that you could see <sighs> what's in the background. So like you're you're taking the photo, <gasps> but you can see the downtown outside of the booth. I love that. I'm gasping. I think that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Because oh, then especially if you had those at like historic landmarks, then it's not like a total eyesore if people are trying to take pictures of like, I don't know, the Grand Canyon or something. But like right. you inside the booth, you get this like cool thing and you get to see everything behind you. I think that could be so neat. Yeah, Kodak would have to invent how to like uh, hit the flash of the glare on the on the clear glass, but that's doable. We can figure that out. You, but you can also, do it, Kodak. Back to your roots, Kodak. Why don't you innovate something? Ready? They also talk about innovation. They also evidently like tried to dabble in smartphones. They came came up with the, like the Kodak Extra, which was you know a smartphone with a really sizable lens on the back. My other fix mm-hmm. would be for them, like, why didn't you partner with other smartphone companies, Apple, and like say, hey, let us you know, do the camera. Let us be like a partner in the camera. I don't understand why, again, they didn't, they weren't thinking. They weren't thinking money, 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 money. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's like that monopolistic point of view where they weren't actually working with other people. They would like eat other companies, but they weren't trying to collaborate. Yeah. One of the, one of the last ones I had is, um, I really wanted when I moved to my apartment a few years ago, well, five or six years ago, I wanted a TV that functioned as a digital frame mm-hmm. and I, it, they're too expensive. They're out of my price range, but I got smaller ones for like me and my family and they're not Kodak branded. Why didn't they do that? Like yeah. your, your thing is pictures. That would be something that, I mean, those are extant things, but I think like yeah. that those are things that I think even now they could jump on and start to market because they have such brand recognition, you know? Yeah. And the thing that they were so good at was making affordable cameras. And to your point, like now they have that frame TV, like maybe Kodak could give us the affordable version of that. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... It's all about the marketing of it all. The company Mm -hmm. telling me what I need. Oftentimes I get stuck in some things. I'm like, I don't need that. I don't need that. And then I buy it because I've seen the commercial so many damn times, you know, you create the culture around buying Kodak. What are your fixes? Well, you know, I really have been noticing that vintage is all the rage. And so my fix is that Kodak could lean into what it does best. Um, So my pitch was maybe like a mobile dark room. That you could actually bring your own film and learn how to use the dark room and walk away with a few prints that you did yourself. And so kind of like how you were talking about the photo booths, these mobile dark rooms could be set up at like, you know, a film festival, a Tribeca or Sundance. It could be at a Coachella. And it's the type of thing where like you take photos around the event and then you come to the mobile dark room and we teach you how to print a few of your own photos. Um, I love it. I think that could be so fun. And and like I said, I only did it in college, but it was just so exciting. 
And I think because we are all a little burnt out on digital, everybody has a digital camera in their pocket with their phone. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something really special about learning how to print a photo and then giving it as a gift. I just think, you know, I love gifts. I'm a gift giver. (gasps) You're Um, so thoughtful. I just think it's such a cool personal thing to do. I also want to say like just two things, you know, he loves a class. So you're teaching me something. (laughs) Yes, please sign me all the way the fuck up. But also like to my point about creating a culture, if you are taking, you know, your, your mobile darkroom to a fair, a carnival, Mm -hmm. Coachella and saying, no, Hey, come in here, you know, come in here for free. We'll teach you this thing. You're creating a culture around it, right? You're reintroducing it to a new generation of people. That's so smart. Yeah. And I think it's also kind of a new spin on the Kodak moment because yes. when you're in the dark room, it doesn't happen instantly. It's a slow process. It's mm. really fun and really cool. But like the Kodak moment could now be watching your photo develop before your eyes. Oh, Fran, that is so good. If Kodak steals this, you better sue them. That is so good. <laughs> I know. I mean, listen, I, so, okay. So maybe you'll be able to help me with this other pitch that I have, which is that disposable cameras are making a comeback as evidenced by the ones that have been sitting in our apartments (laughs) for all this time. But I was thinking, you know, maybe a special line of disposable cameras for like urban outfitters. They could do like retro filters, kind of like the original Instagram filters. So like maybe the whole camera just does like sepia tone or like, Mm. you know, two colors or something like that. I, I have no idea. But they could also maybe do like limited edition disposables with different artists or influencers and they could have like cool features like, you know, double exposure or a special grain or even like there's this really great artist um, that I follow on Instagram, Timothy Goodman. He kind of does this like graffiti style that kind of feels like Keith Haring. Like what if what if the photo had like little drawings on it or something? I don't know. Like, Ooh. do you know what I mean? So it's like half graffiti, half disposable camera. You could have like a limited edition. We're only going to make. 50,000 of this camera, you know, yeah. and they're only going to be sold for this year or something like that. I think that would be fun and be kind of like a collectible. And that's also, again, changing the culture, right? Polaroid did that thing recently where they like, you know, tried to, well, not tried, they reintroduced the Polaroid camera. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they were really cheap and everyone was, you know, just capturing small moments. I have a few photos of that friends gave me because they just brought a Polaroid camera to a party. And I was like, that's so I cool. Love, I love, I was obsessed with my Polaroid camera in high school. I had a wall of Polaroid photos in my house or in my, so in my bedroom. So Kodak, you know, in one of their pivots, they also tried to like create retro brands by partnering. They did partner with somebody other than, you know, smartphone companies. They made jackets and fanny packs and, and with Forever 21, which I was Ooh. like, okay, I guess. But okay. to your point about urban outfitters and the retro thing. That's so smart, right? To create some kind of culture, some kind of partnership um, with a current brand uh, that also not, it's not clothing. It's actually what you do. It's photography. Oh, Kodak. Y'all really dropped the ball. But, you know, as always, we had some very good fixes. I really enjoyed them. And we would definitely love to hear from you, the audience, which fix spoke to you. 
So now that we have dug into Kodak's history and how we would fix their brand, it's time for the glow up where we give props to those who have turned things around for themselves without any help from Delon and Francesca. <laughs> this is kind of my favorite segment because I always can't wait to hear what you say. What do you, what, what's your glow up this week, friend? <laughs> okay. So my glow up goes to Dua Lipa. Dua? Um, I don't. I don't know if you remember this, but in 2018, Dua Lipa was performing her hit song, One Kiss, and she was twisting her hips in like a really weird way to the beat of the music. And people were like tearing her up over this video. They dubbed the move the pencil sharpener. Uh-uh. <laughs> I think it looked like she was like stepping on a bug. You know, how, like when you when you're stepping on a bug and you like you like kind of move your body away from it and you're like, ew, I don't want to like be near. That's what it looked like. Oh my god, I do remember this and the internet is so so mean. They dragged her. It was so bad. It became a huge meme and there were lots of gifts and everyone was calling her lazy and it was it was just everywhere. And you know, the glow up really happened in twenty twenty two. Dua recreated the move on tour for her hit album Future Nostalgia, which was a fucking great album. I don't know if you listened to it. It's so good. And she was in an interview with Jimmy Fallon and she said, you know, I'm reclaiming the movement. I'm, I'm reclaiming this moment because it caused me a lot of grief. I was bullied online. It wasn't very nice, but you know, I can look at it from a different perspective because it helped me grow as an artist and become who I wanted to become. Mm. This is like, this is just so fucking genius. You got made fun of for this thing. Why not repurpose it and show us that like you're in on the joke and yes. you're you're cool with it and then people like it just happens so rarely that people really were like holy shit do is awesome and she really has just been on the rise ever since then She's, that's like varsity you know, self-awareness though it's like such it, it's so it's so like you know what this hurt i'm gonna i'm gonna let my ego mm-hmm. experience this and then i'm gonna go i see you bitches i and i raise you okay yes. i love that it's it's turning the script it's flipping the whole yeah, script. she really made it part of her choreography it, it just made her look so real and like self-aware and you know she's just she's really winning she's actually in the new barbie movie with margot robbie oh Uh, she's she's acting in it which i love she definitely gives me barbie vibes and she has a song on the soundtrack i just thought it's so cool to take a viral moment that people were making fun of you for reclaim it and turn it into something better I love that. I love that for her. Uh, my glow up is it, it makes me feel very old because we are now those people okay. whose middle school, high school fashions are coming back. Wide leg jeans and a flare jean, a bell bottom, mm-hmm. they're back, Fran. These yeah, are no, like, I mean, I've, I've been into a bell bottom. I like it. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So, oh God, this is a great discussion. A bell bottom, a flare are. A bell bottom, a flare is basically a bell bottom, just a little bit, right? Yeah, just I, think, a bit I think the flare tight, is kind sure. of like a medium size bell bottom. It's like a junior and then the bell bottom. Like, yes. Bell bottom <laughs> it's like junior. A, exactly. It's a bell bottom junior. Okay. So evidently, like, this is now like retro fashion, I guess. Not really, but I remember I was a boot cut king because I, I love the flare jean and i was and i was a boy so i couldn't i couldn't wear a flare at the time now i can wear whatever i want because we're in the you know 21st century <laughs> thank you growth but i just i can't believe that these are it's back in style and this is what i used to wear in high school like a y leg pant a boot leg mm-hmm. pant like a janko 
A Jenko G girl. <laughs> you hear a Jenko? Jenko. I also like, remember Silver, the brand Silver? Yes. It was I very like skatery. Yes, yes, I love the silver jean, um, but evidently I need to go back to uh, the wide legs. I don't know. I just feel out of fashion. Um, you know what it is, though? Like, it's weird to see this jean have a glow up moment because it means we're officially old. This I means know. that like millennial fashion is coming back. Like I know. the Gen Z kids that are wearing the wide leg pant and like the flare jean, they did not exist when we were wearing this shit in high school. No, no. And like, and the idea that it's like being discovered as something new is mind boggling to me. Uh, guys, we want to hear from you. How, how do you wear wide leg jeans? <laughs> do you, do you wear a, a flare or a boot cut? Tell us. <laughs> uh, oh my God. Do you wear a medium flare? Uh, a, a mini boot? Do you actually wear boots when you have boot cut jeans on? That's what I want to know. I was wearing like some Pumas. Like I wasn't wearing right. boots. I was wearing right. boots I can, in Florida. Uh, please, God. Uh, but we also want to hear how you would revive Kodak or... If you have a suggestion for a TV show or a celeb or brand you want us to fix, please, please let us know. Hit us up on Instagram at fixitpod. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to give us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Francesca. I'm Delon. And this was Let Me Fix It. 